Oh, thanks, Elspeth. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for joining us. My name's Matt, one of the ministers here at North Mead. We're going to uh, unpack uh, that passage. We're going to concentrate on the first 30 verses. But let's ask God to be with us uh, as we do that. So pray with me. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you that we can still open your word. Thank you that uh, we can learn and grow from it. Help us to do that today uh, as we see uh, that your year uh, has come uh, and you have set us free. Amen. I want you to think back to a time when uh, moving out of your parents' house was just a dream. Uh, if you know, there are teenagers watching, uh, it's probably your dream right now. Moving out from underneath the tyrants who call themselves your parents. When you get to make your own rules, you don't have to answer to anyone except yourself. It sounds like the dream. And then the day comes, it finally happens. You pack up your stuff, you move out of your race car bed, uh, and you move into your own place. You might be moving in with your, your new husband or new wife, you might be moving in with some, some friends or by yourself. The moment you've been looking forward to since your parents said that you couldn't have a TV in your room back in grade 8. Although you quickly work out that what you thought would be freedom and self-reliance is actually just a stack of bills, a basket of dirty laundry, and off vegetables and half a can of Coke in the fridge. Moving out of home, it's got such high expectations. And then reality hits and kind of just squashes it all. Now, I've been out of home, out of my parents' house for 10 years or so uh, now, and I don't think I would ever go back. Moving out, it wasn't exactly what I imagined. Uh, I went at least six months without ever eating a vegetable. Um, but I love my family that I have now. Uh, I love uh, the house that we have and the way we live, We're living our way uh, through our rules. See, when Jesus, he comes back to his hometown uh, of Nazareth, there is a lot of hype around him coming back. Although what people got was not what they were expecting. Just like moving out of your parents' home. Although, when we really understand why Jesus is so amazing, you'll never go back to the life before you met Jesus. Because life, the life Jesus offers is greater than anything else that we could imagine. What Jesus offers is the greatest thing we'll ever get. He sets us free, He reconciles us back with God, He makes us sinless and righteous. But as we see today, in order to get that, we need to face the reality of what it means to be forgiven and reconciled. So let's dive into our passage. I'm going to find out what that is. And last week, uh, we heard from Mark about Jesus going out into the wilderness, and how about him being tempted by the devil and overcoming that temptation, the final preparation before he goes and starts his ministry. And this week, he begins his ministry as he's welcomed back and accepted in Nazareth because of what he's done already in other parts of Galilee. And so Jesus, he's already been teaching in synagogues. He's performed miracles around in the region of Galilee. And Galilee, it's, it's not a big area. And so word spreads quite quickly of this man who teaches with authority and is able to perform miracles and heal people. And then Jesus, he comes back to Nazareth. 
back to his hometown where he grew up. And he stands in the synagogue and he reads from Scripture. And he doesn't do it because he's the guy that always reads from Scripture, but he does it because word had reached back to Nazareth about what's been going on in the other regions, other parts of Galilee. We've heard, they've heard what's been going on elsewhere, and now he's home, and they're excited for Jesus to do exactly the same thing there for them. And so Jesus, he gets up, and he reads from Scripture, and he picks out Isaiah 61. And this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and reconcile sight to the blind, to set free oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus starts his sermon, he's teaching from it, and he says, Scripture has been fulfilled. We've had uh, three and a half chapters so far, we've been going over the last month or so in Luke, uh, and we've seen how Jesus has been fulfilling this Scripture. He's been anointed, that is, he's been given God's authority to teach, and he's given the power to lead his people back to God. While Jesus is the great high priest, this authority and power, it's a kingly one that he's been given. And that's what anointed is, to be made a king. And that happened at his baptism, when the Spirit descended on him and the voice from God said, this is my son. Jesus is God's anointed king who will govern and protect God's people. Now, there are four groups of people, four, four types of people, um, four aspects of humanity that Jesus has been anointed or given authority over to preach good news to, to proclaim to. The first is the poor. Now, this isn't the economical poor, those who earn below minimum wage or the slaves, those who live paycheck by paycheck or not even able to do that. It's the poor like Jesus talks about in Matthew 5, those who are poor uh, in spirit, the unrighteous, they're not holy, they know they're not perfect. Now, there usually is a relationship between a spiritually poor and economically poor because having no money clearly shows how spiritually poor we actually are. The more you have, the more you think yourself righteous and good, the more holy and pure you think you are. The world helps you put this veneer over your life. You're selling yourself as a marble benchtop when all you are is a laminated piece of chipboard. In fact, a life of serving Jesus is quite often a life of poverty, or at the very least, a life when you don't have as much as your worldly counterpart. And Jesus, uh, he doesn't offer financial freedom here, not at all. He says the thing he's going to do for those who are poor in spirit is going to preach to them good news. We'll get good news, which we'll look at shortly. Now, the second aspect of humanity on show here is the captives. And throughout Jesus' ministry, there's not actually uh, a time where Jesus releases someone from prison. Uh, so it's obviously a metaphor to show our spiritual reality. Now, if you go through and you search the theme of release in both Luke and Acts, written by the same person, releasing 
from captivity is almost always connected to forgiveness. The idea is one of a prisoner of war set free. Now, the war we have is obviously a spiritual one. We're shackled by Satan, and Jesus has come and proclaimed. He's announced freedom from Satan's shackles. Freedom because of forgiveness of sins. Uh, Third aspect of humanity on show here is the blind. And Jesus, he does heal blind people throughout his ministry. But I want you to think about every time one of the gospel writers pauses and concentrates on Jesus healing a blind man. The blind man in Mark 8 is probably the most known one. Uh, And then maybe Paul on the road to Damascus as he was uh, made blind and given his sight back. In both of these, there's a connection that illustrates the spiritual blindness of that person having, uh, being like that because of their sinfulness. Uh, in Mark, it's the disciples who don't fully understand that they're blind to what Jesus has to do. And you see that as he continues through Mark 8. And the same with Paul on the road to Damascus. His, phys- uh, his uh, physical shows his spiritual reality. In fact, the Old Testament, uh, it connects being blind with sinfulness. Uh, I want to read to you from uh, Zephaniah. This is chapter 1, verse 17. It says, I will bring distress on mankind. They will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Uh, Jesus has come to open the eyes of the blind. Now, John, in his recount, of the gospel points out that Jesus is the light in the darkness. Opening eyes to the blind is salvation, being able to walk in the light, able to see sinfulness and stay away from it. The fourth and final aspect that Jesus uh, here preaches or proclaims good news to is those who are oppressed. The people who are living at the mercy of someone else. In fact, all of Israel uh, finds themselves in that situation at the moment as they're at the mercy of the Roman Empire. Uh, I was reading up in Rome uh, and the Roman Empire uh, this week and it, it's quite funny if we think that, uh, about it. Most of our Western civilization has a lot of basis off what the Roman Empire does or did. And you go over there and you look and you marvel at uh, the ruins and the great things that they've done. But have you ever noticed that when you go and you look at them, the things you don't see? You don't see the ruins of a hospital or an orphanage. There are no soup kitchens, no halfway houses. Rome is all about the rich and the powerful. You're either one of the rich and the powerful or you're oppressed by them, so you don't take their position. Humanity, it's oppressed, it's held back, it's squished by sin unable to achieve full and pure righteousness because sin is stopping us. Jesus has been anointed to preach to those who are spiritually poor without righteousness, who are imprisoned by sin, unable to be free to worship God like they should, blind by sinfulness, unable to see the glory of our Heavenly Father and oppressed by the devil, unable to reach the righteous status needed to be in relationship with God. And so he preaches and he teaches, he proclaims that all 
of this will end. It's been made right because it's the year of the Lord's favor. Now, the year of the Lord's favor, it, it makes reference back to the year of the Jubilee, which you can read about in Leviticus 25. Every 50 years, everything was given back to its original owner. Debts were wiped clear, everything was made new, there was a fresh start. Now, Jesus, he's uh, not talking about a simple social reform that they were supposed to do every 50 years, uh, like giving them their own king back, take them, taking them away from the Romans so they can run themselves. Jesus is using this to describe the day of salvation. And what an image that is. Uh, imagine being so down on your luck that you have to sell your farm, sell your house and everything you have to pay your debts, and it doesn't cover it. And so you're thrown in prison, you're locked up. But then comes the, law, the year of Jubilee. Not only are your, wipes, your, your debts wiped clear, you're released from prison, and you're given everything back that you had to try and sell. How amazing does that sound? The year of the Lord's favor is when the debt of sin has been paid. We are released from slavery to sin. We're given back to God. It's the day that they've been looking forward to for centuries. It's the good news that Jesus came and was anointed to preach. This is the part of Scripture, Isaiah 61, that Jesus goes to to start his earthly ministry. And the people sitting there in the synagogue, they liked what they heard. And then they asked the question, isn't this Joseph's son? Now, at first you probably look at it and it kind of seems negative, but it's not. It's a, it's a positive one. If you look at it in context and how it's actually written, uh, they're happy about it. How good is it that Jesus has come to our town, he's come back, you know, he's a homegrown hero. The people sitting there in the synagogue loved that Jesus was one of them. They were sitting there going, good for you, Jesus, good for all those poor people and those people in prison that you're going to help out. How good is it that one of us is going to do that? Jesus was welcomed as he stood in his hometown synagogue and announced that the time had come for him to reconcile humanity back to himself. Those who heard it, they were amazed. But as Jesus applies Isaiah's prophecy to them, their amazement quickly turns to anger. Jesus is rejected and chased out of Nazareth for highlighting their spiritual reality. I mean, think for a second, you know, uh, someone uh, heard Mark's sermon from last week, was amazed at how good he is at preaching and invites him over somewhere to like the Netherlands to do their annual conference. And then Mark's preaching uh, and talking at conferences blows up. And he becomes the keynote speaker at every major Christian conference around the world. His calendar is booked up with speaking uh, and connecting flights around the world. If that happened, is that going to happen? Um, okay. um, it probably would happen, he said. Uh, we would expect to get some sort of kickback as a church, right? Financial would be good. 
because he would use a lot of the time that he should be serving here at church. But at the very least, we would expect when he's back in the country, back here, that we would get priority over other things. And we would probably expect our church to grow from him being a headline speaker around the world. People would want to come to Northmead. The same, in the same way, the people of Nazareth expected Jesus to do for them what they've heard him do in other parts of Galilee. At the very least, the same. But they were probably expecting more. The proverb that he gives here, Dr. Heal Yourself. It's not a request for Jesus to prove that he can do uh, what the rumors say he can. It's all about starting with yourself, starting at home, starting within. And you can see that uh, this is the expectation of the proverb as you read the rest of verse 23, the second half. What you've heard uh, that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. The thing is, that's exactly what Jesus has done. And teaching them from Isaiah and telling them that this is what's going to happen. He's teaching them that their salvation is here. Restoration has come through Him. They can now have a real relationship with God. But Jesus uh, teaches that they won't accept Him. Those in His hometown won't accept Him. They don't see themselves as the poor and the captive, the blind or the oppressed. Jesus tells them that they won't accept what He's saying. And He shows them what it looks like for someone to come to salvation. Jesus gives them two examples of this. First, Elijah and the widow in Sidon. The widow who trusted the Word of God because she had nothing else to trust in. She knew that she could do nothing for herself but die. So when Elijah came and offered her life, she trusted. She knew her need for dependence on someone else, for, on dependence for God, because of the state that she found herself in. Because she trusted, she lived. And then to add insult to injury, Elijah and Naaman the leper. These two countries uh, that the, the men belonged to were enemies, constantly fighting. But Elijah, uh, Elijah helped him out. And helping him out was bad enough. But Elijah didn't just heal Naaman, but he was cleansed. Which is not something that you really hear happening outside the people of God. And when Naaman's servant asked him, why are you doing this humiliating thing that Elisha told you to do? Naaman answered, and you look at this up in 2 Kings, if it was something dangerous, if it was something difficult, it was heroic, you would jump into it. You would do it without thinking twice about it. So why not do the humiliating, humiliating, humbling thing that exposes who you are? Those in Israel and Judah in the time of these prophets, didn't see their need for God. But these Gentiles completely relied on God because they knew what state they were in. And there was no way they could get themselves out of it. And so they relied on God and His Word. Jesus says to the people sitting there in the synagogue, you need to see that you are the poor and the captive, the blind, the oppressed, and respond in faith like these two Gentiles did. 
Jesus also says that you're not going to. You won't accept what I'm offering because you won't accept your need for it. Have a look at verse 28 and how they responded. I want you to read it for yourself. Everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They were outraged that they were called poor and blind, needing to see themselves like the Gentile who has nothing to offer, who need to rely completely on God. Now, having a trade and working in a trade area, you don't actually get to do much work uh, with women. There aren't a lot of women tradies, but uh, there were a few I got to work with, and uh, this one I was working with was carrying uh, a 10-foot ladder across the side. A 10-foot ladder is massive, and being electrical, they're fiberglass, and so they're three times the weight of a normal ladder. And so we were walking from one side of the site to the other, uh, and I offered to help, to grab one end. And she was so offended at this. She assumed that I thought she couldn't do it because she was a girl. When in reality, I'd offered, because I'd offer anyone help, carrying this enormous, heavy ladder. In fact, besides her, I think I can remember two other times I've seen someone carry a ladder that big by themselves. They usually just leave it there and wait for someone else to take it. Unwilling to accept help because of un an unwillingness to see the situation. The people of Jesus' hometown, Nazareth, responded the same. How dare you say we need to trust and rely on God like these Gentiles? Look at us. We're not poor. We're not captives. We're not blind. We see clearly. We are not oppressed. This was so offensive that they their attitudes changed quite quickly from excitement to anger, so angry that they were willing to kill Jesus. Those in Nazareth, they loved that Jesus was one of them and accepted benefits because of it. Instead, Jesus pointed out that it was also them that had nothing to offer, had to humble themselves before God to be washed clean, just like the widow, just like Naaman the leper. Just as the reality for those in Nazareth was that they needed to see that they had nothing to help themselves and they had to humble themselves before God, the same is true for us today. We need to come to God through Jesus so that we can rejoice in the year of the Lord. When going out on adventures was something that we were able to do, I used to take the kids out uh, bike riding. And this one time, I remember Lola was putting her helmet on, she said she could do it herself, and she did the clip-up, and it clipped uh, under her chin, and she just screamed. And I went to help her, but I couldn't get to it because she had her hands grabbing it like this. Uh, and she was screaming, and I was trying to get in over the top, it was probably quite a scene, uh, telling her that she had to let go completely so that I could fix it. And that's what we need to do with our lives. We need to let go of trying to do it ourselves and give it all to Jesus. We need to do that by seeing the reality of our state of lives because of sin. We are poor. We're the captives, we're the blind, the oppressed, who Jesus preaches to here. He's proclaimed salvation and He does that through the cross. And so we need to cling to Jesus as our only hope for life. 
just like the widow did, just like Naaman did. Now, if you haven't given your life to Christ yet, I want to invite you to do that right now. Jesus came into the world and He died so that you could live forever. So let go of trying to do it yourself. Give your life to Jesus. Let Him bring you back into right relationship with God. We may not benefit by the world's standards. In fact, we probably won't. And that's fine because something greater has come and it will come. And that's the day we need to look forward to, to find our joy in. We need to find joy in the coming day of salvation, when we're fully set free from sin, when we're made perfect and righteous, able to walk with God in heaven because our debts have been paid. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You that uh, You became man, uh, you, you sent Your Son Jesus into the world, uh, He came to set us free from oppression uh, and captivity, a help uh, to enrich us, us spiritually and take away our blindness. Uh, Lord, we thank You uh, for the year, for Your year, when our debts have been paid and we're able to come back to You. Help us to cling to You as our only way uh, to become right with You. Uh, Lord, help us to rejoice in this, uh, see the amazement of it. Help us to humble ourselves before You, seeing the state of our lives without You. Amen.